welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means, sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. I think sometimes our hardest questions have relatively simple answers. Simple doesn't mean easy. One of the things that I've been so aware of lately is just the sheer volume of darkness in the world around us, in the form of trauma, in the form of depression, in the form of worry, desperation, loneliness, cold. It can easily feel like we are living in a world that is kind of spinning off of its axis and that the future of humanity is some ways at stake and it's like not looking great. Like I'm not sure if I would vote that humanity will continue in a positive, healthy, flourishing way. So I think the the level of our awareness of suffering in the world is certainly very high. And that suffering is also very high. And in many conversations that I have with people around the world about their own heartaches and fears and worries, there's this tremendous sense that things are not going well, like cosmically, like big picture level. I have a a dear mentor, uh, Dr. Dan Engel, who um, often says, this is an all hands on deck moment that the risk for ongoing suffering at unprecedented levels is real, not only in our human stories, but on the level of ecology and the level of the survival of the planet. I am not a, a doomsday person. I don't live in a place of a lot of fear. I just sort of have that lucky personality that's a kind of like a half glass full kind of human. But even despite a sunny disposition, I feel it. I feel it in my bones. I hear it in my friends. I hear it in my clients. I hear it in these conversations, the sense of like, all is not well, and we don't really see a good strategy for getting out of it. So it's a hard question, set of questions. The thing that I come back to that is that simple but not easy answer is that the steady, powerful counterbalance to all of the fear, the desperation, the loneliness, the hunger, and even the violence, is to amplify our capacity for love. Please don't stop listening. I know that sounds a little like, ooh, she spent too much time in California. But love is deep and powerful, and it is probably the only thing that has ever made significant changes in the course of humanity. The things that change our minds begin first in our hearts. Our hearts change, and then our minds change, and then our behavior changes. So it's a very, very powerful tool. So it sounds a little vague though when I say, okay, let's like look at all the difficult things and just counter them by amplifying love. Like what does that mean? But I think there can be a very clearly laid out strategy for growing our capacity to love in the face of very difficult circumstances. One of the things that I think about is really starting with the self. 
we think about these sort of uh, circles of influence and the first is ourselves and then we go out into the people we have most contact with, our families, our partners, our children, our close friends. And then we go at a level to our community, to our extended family, to our friends maybe around the world, around the country. Then we think about the community of humans as a whole, the people far away, maybe that we don't know directly, but that we have some interconnectedness with. And then finally, there's this outer circle, which is the, the whole of the ecosystem, the whole of the planet, the whole of the life-giving force that we live in the midst of on this pretty green-blue marble. So if we think about breaking down strategies to amplify love at each of those levels, I think it becomes a transition from something that feels like a like vague, nice idea to something that becomes actionable and strategic. So the first one let's think about is how do we grow our capacity for love for ourselves, love of ourselves? One of the things that I think is imperative is that we tend to our wounds. We have to take seriously our own healing. It's often our woundedness that inhibits our capacity to love. It's our own trauma. It's our own stories of being unlovable or not loving that get in the way of our ability to really like dig down deep in love when love becomes challenging. So I'm often surprised when people talk about how doing their work, seeing a therapist, going on retreats, meditating, like whatever their work is, however it takes shape, if it's psychedelics, if it's coaching, sometimes people refer to those things as as selfish I can't believe I'm taking this time out to do this meditation retreat. It feels so selfish. I couldn't have a more opposite belief. Like that is your work to do so that you can be of service to your children, your partner, eventually maybe the well-being of humanity. Your work to do starts with yourself, healing your wounds so that you can love better, so that you can love fully, so that you can love with power. And of course, after healing comes practices of self-love, of tending to yourself, of caring for your body, of caring for your mind, of caring for your heart, so that your mechanism of doing good in the world, your mechanism of love, your mechanism of creativity, which is this selfhood container that you walk around the world in, so that that is as finely tuned and as healthy as it can be. That is the gift that you bring to everyone that you interact with. And so there's nothing selfish about self-love. There is a lot that gets real sloppy about not loving yourself well. Because if you don't love yourself well, it's often other people that have to pick up the slack or make up for the mess that you're making in your life or in your relationships. So don't hesitate to help your own love fire kind of flourish because it does start inside out, tending your wounds, growing your capacity to love by learning, by practicing things that help you to be grounded and centered, meditation. Play is also a part of self-love. Again, it, it maybe feels a little strange that I have the audacity to say that play is important in counteracting the horrors of war or the desperation of depression. But if you think about the polarities that are present there, you think about 
depravity, isolation, evil, how, like however you articulate the darkness of the world, there is on the other side of that some kind of counterbalance. And that counterbalance is made of light. It's made of play. It's made of joy. It's made of love. It's made of frivolity and laughter and silliness and warm meals around a table with people who are sharing stories and taking care of each other. Those hobbies, those play, those things that are lighthearted are an incredibly important piece of this mission of amplifying your own capacity for love so that you can withstand the darkness, the void, the emptiness, the nothingness when it does come to your doorstep. So let's move one layer out from the self. You've done your healing, you're practicing taking care of your unit, your um, little love unit that is your body and mind and soul, spirit. You're playing, you're enjoy, all the things. So one step out. That's our capacity to love the people in our like direct little sphere. Often that's our children, our significant other, our, our besties, our collection of people that are really close to us. I really have been thinking so much about this in my parenting journey lately, which is that my mission with my children is to help them learn to love well. It's to help them be able to receive love and give love with as clear of a channel as possible, you know, to protect them from the kinds of things that would muddy their capacity, the, the childhood traumas, the overly mature stories, the things that they're not ready to hold yet, the things that make them be in fear rather than in love, or the things that make them believe that their value comes from achievement rather than love. So when you think about your kids, obviously it's super easy, it's super simple, super straightforward to be like, of course I want my children to feel loved. But we also want to equip them with the same skill set to love radically in the face of hate, to love radically in the face of emptiness or desperation. So that love that they will build comes from us. We are the blueprint. We are the ones who are teaching them what love is, what love looks like, how love speaks, how love holds, how love hugs, how love tickles. All of the things that we do in our interactions with them are part of that syllabus of love that they will then take forward into the rest of their lives that will be the blueprint that they use with their children and with their partner and with their friends and with all of the people that they encounter. So you can sort of see the ripple effects. Like if you just do this one thing well... This one thing well of loving these kids really well, I think that's a really good mission in our lives. That might be the one thing we get to do, and that's a really worthy accomplishment. I think about this also with our partners, our significant others, husbands, wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever it is, but the people who share our hearts, our heart people. This one is a challenging one. I think this is a place where the darkness of the world can take root in loneliness or in discontent or in resentment. And all of those things may be part of our journey at some point or another, but coming back to the home base of love with our partners, of believing that our role in their lives is to help them amplify love. It's to help them be the best, most loving, most sort of whole version of themselves so, of course, that means we don't get in the way. We're mindful of how we have the capacity to hurt them. And we steer clear of hurt by keeping ourselves in check, by being careful with their hearts, by asking them to be careful with our hearts. Of course, we've all heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. 
And I think we talk about that in these like extreme cases of, you know, people who commit mass acts of murder and we think about how hurt they must have been to have done such a heinous thing. But I think it also applies to our own families. When we are hurt, we have greater capacity to hurt. And so the way out of that math, the way out of that equation is to minimize hurt at the door, to be careful with our words, to be loving with our actions, to be very like actually disciplined in even these most intimate relationships, to keep love at the forefront, not um, as something that people have to go searching for. Another thing that I think really relates to this in our small scope of our direct impact in the world, you know, the, the little the little circle that people were in a lot of contact with is the way that we love our elders, the way that we tend to them, the way that we care for them, even when they're not sure about printer drivers or there are things that are happening in their lives or uh, worlds that may not be super interesting to us. But do we have the time and space to honor and revere and take care of to help care for their bodies and their minds and their souls, just like we do our kiddos. I think we've um, lost something in the separation of our families. You know, most of us don't live with elders or grandparents or haven't had them around very much. I know I live far from my mother, and I never lived in the same town or even state as my grandparents. So my own experience is to be quite separate from the generation above me. My children are having a similar experience, and I think there's a, there's a deep thing that's lost in that when we don't practice love of the elder, and we don't learn those skills, we don't learn that patience, we don't learn that reverence. It's a thing we can do, it's a thing we can work on, even this holiday season, to turn the tide in how we hold love towards those that have gone before us. So let's go out one more circle. This is outside of our household, outside of our close-knit friends, moving into the communities in which we live or the friends who are maybe scattered. Here I think the strategy for increasing love is to pick one or two things, one or two places in our community where we want to just throw some fuel on the fire of love, a cause. Maybe it's homelessness, illiteracy, people who are parenting without a lot of support or help, refugees who are seeking safety, whatever it might be that kind of stirs you. Maybe it's just coaching Little League or hockey. Maybe it's uh, making a circus show that tells a story about mental health. That's sort of mine. Whatever it might be, let it be important to you. I know that there are many, many demands on your time or your attention. And you don't have to uh, burn yourself out on the quest to be helpful. But it's okay to pick one or two things that do bring you joy, that light your soul on fire, and do those. Just weave them into your life. Maybe it's just a couple times a year. Maybe it's just the food bank at the holidays. Maybe it's just going to play guitar at the old folks' home down the street from you. Do something that is an act of kindness, an act of generosity to the world around you. Just pick one or two things. It doesn't have to be super complicated. And then when we think about this larger story, the human story, the one that unfolds on the nightly news, the one that we see in our Twitter feed, um, the one that feels far away but yet can rock us to the core when we really see and experience the suffering of our fellow humans, This is a hard one because in some ways 
being aware of the suffering of the world is a much bigger scope of suffering than we're kind of at this point capable of handling in the development of our neurological capacity. We can care about only so many things. And so I think even just knowing about the level of war and desperation around the world can really create compassion fatigue so that we feel just at capacity flooded by it and unable to maybe do much about it. And so I think it's okay to modulate your exposure. It's important to modulate your exposure. But in your knowing, also feel free to take action, to send money, to send a text, to check in on your friends who have family in Gaza or have family in Israel, to check in on the people that you love that are close to suffering or in the midst of suffering. The fundamental point of amplifying love is that people do not feel alone or unseen. They don't feel worthless. They don't feel hopeless, helpless, that they know that there is a tether, that they're even in the midst of their darkest experiences, there's like a little ray of light. And you can be that light with a phone call, with a text, with a check-in, with a, hey, how are you? With a note, with a letter. If you don't have any touch points with these larger tragedies in the world, then There are still significant actions you can take, supporting a cause, Doctors Without Borders. Even just what happens in your own mind and heart can potentially be of great service. And for some, that may be prayer. For some, it may be meditation. I think that there might be something really significant that when we see something that horrifies us or scares us or hurts us, we transmute it we change it not to that emotional reaction of horror or fear but we decide I'm taking this suffering and I want to sort of replace it with love so I'm sending love however I can in whatever form we think that takes metaphysically I'm sending love to all the mamas who are holding sick babies all the dadas who are trying to care for their elderly parents, all of the humans around the world whose hearts are cracked open. I acknowledge that. I feel it. And I'm just sort of sending some energy that's positive, that's caring, that's loving in the directions of those broken hearts. I guess we can go back and forth about whether we think that actually matters in the world. But as a psychologist, I think it's good for you. (laughs) So let's just leave it there. Maybe it doesn't turn the tide of any of this horror, but it does help you feel better. So that can just be this practice of replacing fear, worry with love. Just turning it around within your own human experience and blasting it back out as love and compassion. I think the final place that we are all invited to generate some more love is in the way that we care for this planet. In the yards that we have, in the trees that we grow, in the flowers that we water, in the plants in our home, all the way to thinking about water sources and how we minimize the amount of trash and devastation we leave behind us. If we can take care of our home well, if we can make our home a place of beauty, a place of protection, a place that is worth preserving, then we are helping love grow. We're helping the planet to be as healthy and as nourishing as possible so that it can sustain our lives as well as the lives of all around us and all of the plant life and animal life that rely 
on this green blue marble to keep them going. Suffering is part of being human. I wish it wasn't. I wish it wasn't for myself. I wish it wasn't for my kids. I wish it was a story we could skirt around or bubble wrap to prevent us from feeling the suffering of the world, our own suffering. But it's out of that suffering that we have our most important moments. It's out of that suffering that we know what matters to us. It's out of that suffering that we know what we'll fight for. It's out of that suffering that we know how to love in the face of negative odds. And that's where our love becomes super powerful. And we are kind of this army of little human love bombs that are crawling around the world trying to help ease the suffering, help turn the tide when it feels... um, impossible. My work in the world is to talk with high performers, with entrepreneurs, with people who have a stake in the game. And I know y'all like really practical, tactical things. And I don't know if this episode sort of falls under those uh, lines, but it's just been on my heart that that's the mission, you guys. That's the mission for all of us is to just grow our capacity for love, to love better, That is going to make our lives better. It's going to make our kids happier. It's going to make our world better. And I just might think it might make our businesses more successful. But maybe that's a conversation for another episode. Thanks so much for listening. If I or my team can be helpful to you in your quest to grow your ability to love well, give us a holler. It's kind of what we do. The harder the problem, the more love we throw at it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.